Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path podcast, a podcast about badass women who found the clarity and courage to live life on their own terms. I'm Willow, your host, lifestyle coach, and NLP practitioner. In each episode, you'll hear personal stories alongside candid interviews with women who have boldly stepped into the unknown to create extraordinary and unconventional lives. You can expect to hear juicy topics like how to reinvent yourself after an identity or health crisis, dating and finding love, saying F you to your fears, and how to harness the mindset to create all of your big impossible goals. My mission for this podcast is to inspire your inner risk taker to be courageous and unapologetic about what you really want and to start taking action today. I'm so excited to have you here. All right, let's go. So I'm very excited that I'm chatting with Sarah Duchovny. Did I say that right? You did. Okay, good, good. You have quite an unconventional path. (laughs) Sarah is a professional opera singer who travels all over the U.S. with her husband in an RV, I can't wait to hear about that, who turned her obsession with antique diamonds and estate fine jewelry into a very profitable career, and who is responsible for the divorce ring phenomenon. You're also an ambassador for the One Love Foundation, which Mm -hmm. teaches young people about healthy and unhealthy relationships, something that you know quite a bit about from what I've yes. read about you. Okay. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm really excited yeah. to talk about all of these, all of these topics. All of the things. And okay. So being an opera singer is, so I've never <laughs> met an opera singer. I don't think. Yeah. So being an opera singer is definitely a niche. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's a small and very interconnected world. Um, it's quite mm-hmm. competitive and kind of into that world, um, you know, it feels like everyone's an opera singer, if that makes sense. You know, yes. <laughs> it's, it's like any industry where, you know, once you get into that pond, um, mm-hmm. you know, you find that there are, there are lots of wonderful people, lots of talented people. Um, in there with you. So, you know, it's, um, it's an unconventional lifestyle. And like any kind of freelance um, performing career, it, um, it has its ups and downs. And um, it definitely lacks stability. Lacks stability is what I would say. (laughs) Okay. And so whenever you were growing up, take us back to how do you become an opera singer? I always loved performing. Um, You know, I was like one of those kids who would make my sister and her friends be in plays that I would direct and star in and choreograph. I mean, bless my sister. (laughs) She was just such a, (laughs) such a patient person. I would make my family like sit and watch like ridiculously long and drawn out one woman shows. So I always had that performer like, Mm-hmm. Know, personality. Um, and then I started singing in choirs and doing musicals. So okay. I loved musical theater. And um, I, you know, my dream was to be on Broadway because mm-hmm. when you're, you know, when you're 12, you know, or 15, you know, you're not like, I'm going to be an opera singer. So <laughs> yes. I dreamed of being on Broadway. And actually, 
I um, had been exposed to opera at a very young age mm. from my grandparents. Okay. So it was, yeah. So I, I knew about it. I enjoyed it. I loved the stories, but it wasn't something that I thought about doing for myself. It wasn't really on my radar in that way. Mm. But um, when I was 16, I wanted to take voice lessons and I was so fortunate. I mean, it was one of those like just luck things that um, my parents found a teacher in the area who was an opera singer. Mm, okay. So yeah. So I wanted to do musical theater and I went to her and I was like, I want to be on Broadway. This is my dream. And mm. after we had a lesson, she was like, listen, if you're going to have a career in music as a professional musician, I think your voice is more suited to opera and classical music. At 12 years old? Um, no, I was 16. I was 16, oh, 16. at that point. Okay. Yes. So I had already, you know, the female voice does change during puberty. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it fills out and it, it matures a bit. So I had, you know, passed that point. So my, my, more mature voice was starting of mm -hmm. course you know then it, it keeps developing you know <laughs> far into your 30s but um yeah. yeah I I had that that just opera tone in a very raw undeveloped form okay um yeah so I sobbed and I was like devastated mm. because I was like, my dream is to be on Broadway and she doesn't understand me. And like, this is not the plan that I have for myself. And yeah. then I went and I saw uh, my first live opera. I saw Carmen. Mm. And I was just like, oh, this is so cool. This yeah. is what I'm going to do with my life. I never turned back. Wow. I just got the chills. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, at that age, especially because at that age, you start to get input from other people. Did you ever hear, come on, you can't really do musical theater professionally, be on Broadway. I mean, did you have people, it sounds like you had a lot of support, but did yes. you the naysayers as well? I had a very supportive family. Um, my parents um, are both visual artists. So they really understood, you know, the, the creative drive and that if you need to do something like that with your life, mm -hmm. you, you need to do it. Like that's, you know. Yeah. Follow. So they, they did not want to crush any dreams. They were very, very supportive. Um, but I went to a um, really high achieving public high school in the Philadelphia area um, where, you know, where you went to school really, really mattered. Like mm -hmm. if it wasn't Ivy League, you had like failed your parents or whatever. So that was kind of the standard. And then I rolled in there and I was like, I'm going to go to a conservatory. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to study opera. And I think there were just a lot of people who were like, is that a thing you could even do? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, just, it just wasn't, it wasn't really the norm. Um, actually, my high school has turned out quite a few professional musicians, but, okay. um, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what people were used to hearing about. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, they all said like, well, are you going to Juilliard? So that was like the one... Yeah the one thing they knew of, but, but yeah, it just wasn't really something that was like done very often. Mm -hmm. So you made the decision at 16. Yeah. 
and you believed in yourself. So I do transformation coaching and a lot of what I work on is the belief system, like limiting beliefs that start before you're seven years old. Generally, you know, we're just sponges sucking, soaking all this up. So that's where I'm, you know, so interested in this being so young, having big dreams and then actually fulfilling them. So it sounds like you believed the entire time. Yeah, I did. You know, it's interesting because as performers, you know, we all go through this up and down of like, I can do anything. And then the next second you're like, I'm the worst and everyone hates me and this is never going to happen. You know? right. So I definitely can't say that every moment, you know, of my life or of my career has been like, I will do this because I deserve it and I'm the best. It's not like that at all. But, um, I, I can't be any other way. Like this Mm -hmm. being an opera singer is such, um, it's such a part of my soul and what drives me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, even during the really tough times, you know, which of course, like there are many, many difficult times, but Mm -hmm. it's never been something that I could not do. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's, it sounds like it's a, a part of your identity. Yeah. From, you know, very, again, from a long, a long time ago and then rejection, I'm sure you've been through many. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right. And I always say, you know, like rejection <laughs> is actually the biggest part of our job. Is it? As, oh, as wow. performers. Right. Okay. So auditioning yeah. all the time. Yeah. And- Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for anyone, I mean, you know, most people have never really thought about this, but when you're a freelance musician, so um, a soloist, you know, we don't, um, we don't belong to a company the way um, orchestras or choruses do. Soloists are all right. freelance independent contractors. So for every job, every gig, every production that we get, mm-hmm. we had to audition or submit for that role. Okay. And yeah. And then when it's done, you go on to the next one. Maybe there's no work lined up, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you, and, and I think, you know, for every job that you get, they were like 15, 20, 10 that you auditioned for and didn't get. Wow. Um, so So, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's the life of an artist. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so nowadays, Okay, so you're traveling across the country, and your husband's also yes. an opera singer. Yes, my right? husband's a wonderful operatic tenor. Um, okay, so yeah, we live in an RV. We're in it right now. Oh, Here it is. very cool. <laughs> it's my dream. Yeah, for sure. It's great. We love it. We've done it since 2017. Um, oh, okay. So the whole time, yeah, in an RV. Okay, yeah, yeah, incredible. And um, yeah, we have we have no other home. Like this is our home. Okay. And um, it is about 350 square feet. It has a washer and dryer. It has yeah. a clean size bed. Like we're, you know, we're very comfortable here. Um, and we kind of came to this point because usually you stay in like a patron's home or an Airbnb or a hotel, you know, for like four to eight weeks and you're living out of a suitcase. Yeah. And if you're a couple, you know, then you're like, okay, I'm coming for this gig, but like, 
my partner's coming with me. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, we, we wanted that like sense of home wherever we were. Mm-hmm. So right. And freedom you know, just drag our home with us and freedom. Yeah. yeah. We love it. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> It's awesome. So now during yeah. quarantine, so you've been, yeah. where are you now? We are in Georgia right now. We're about an hour outside of Atlanta. Um, okay. And we are in a camper and um, my brother-in-law uh, so graciously set us up like electrical and sewer and water oh, cool. hookups mm-hmm. on his property. So, um, so we're in our home and yeah, it's a, it's a sad, sad time to be a performer. It's really... Mm-hmm. It's really tough. Um, You know, our industry is kind of at a standstill and there are lots of cancellations coming in and it's, Mm -hmm. it's really sad, but um, you know, we're healthy and we have our home and we're fostering this great dog. So we're just, just hanging in there and and trying to be great, grateful. (laughs) Right. But it's true. I mean, your industry is definitely is one of those Big, big question marks. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. hopeful because, um, you know, opera yeah. especially has been around for a very long time mm-hmm. and um, we have been through, you know, really, really terrible and scary times in history and, and opera has come through it. So I, I know that we will come through this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worry for so many of my colleagues because, right. um, a lot of people will not be able to afford to wait it out. Yeah. You know, so that's the tough thing. To have a plan B or that don't have another stream of, of income. Right. Or their other stream of income is also based on being around people like catering or, or teaching or, you know, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's tough. Um, but I, but I do have hope and, and musicians are some of the most creative and resourceful people I know. So mm-hmm. if there's anyone, if there's any industry that's going to like find a way, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's ours. But yeah, you know, right now it's, it's sad. It's sad. So you're supporting friends, colleagues. Yeah. Um, I actually have three people, um, three opera singers who are working part-time for me, um, Mm -hmm. with my jewelry business. Okay. And I, I feel, yeah, I just feel really fortunate. Um, you know, I wish it was full-time. I wish I could offer benefits, but I do feel really fortunate that I have another stream of income and I, I, I'm really happy that I'm in a position to, um, include other, Mm -hmm. other musicians in that, um, and yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> and we're just doing what we can. Yes, exactly. So let's hear all about your jewelry business, your obsession with antique vintage diamonds yes. or, and estate jewelry, which is definitely another yes. niche. So estate jewelry, I'll just break down the term. Yes, just thank so, you. You know, everyone knows because <laughs> most people don't. Um, estate jewelry <laughs> simply just means that it's pre-owned. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that is pre-owned is a state, uh, vintage means it's 20 years or older okay. and then antique means 100 years or older. Did not so, know that. um, yeah, so everything on my site is a state. Most mm-hmm. things are vintage 20 years or older. And okay. then a good portion of those are hundred years or older antique. Um, and okay. yeah, the, 
one of the really cool things about um, vintage and antique jewelry mm -hmm. is that um, most of these pieces, things that were in 1950s and older, mm -hmm. um, use old cut diamonds, which are um, diamonds that were cut by hand um, okay. in different cuts than what we find now with modern cuts. So they, um, they're really special and mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, you can't make more of them. They're antique or, or right. their vintage. So yeah. I, I love it. Um, but yeah. I, so I became no. obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and when was this? How long have you been on this kind of dual jewelry and, and opera path? I started the business um, over a year ago. Oh, but so it's the new. obsession, yeah, it's pretty new, but the obsession okay. goes back like 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's something that I've always really wanted to do. I just didn't know that I could. Um, I, I got my first um, vintage piece for my 16th birthday. My grandparents mm -hmm. got me a little Art Deco ring. It's a little. Um, 16 was a major year for me. It was, major. <laughs> it was like a lot of, yeah. Futuristic, you know, yeah. <laughs> planting like seeds were planted. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. So it's just, it had a little, um, a little old European cut diamond in it. And mm -hmm. I took it to a jeweler to get size. He was like, Oh, this is an old European cut diamond. And I was just like, Whoa. And then I just started researching everything I could. And, um, yeah, I, that's really cool. I, I I love vintage. I love history, um, mm -hmm. and and I love researching things. So it's like a natural fit. <laughs> Very cool. And and you source. You go to estate sales, I guess. My my, uh, my pieces come from many different sources, um, mm -hmm. but yes, most of them are from estates. So these days, I don't go to the sales as often um, mm -hmm. as just working through my network of um, estate coordinators and, and estate wholesalers. Okay. So opera has really been great because I travel so much. I can, um, you know, form these relationships with people in the industry mm -hmm. while I'm on the road. And um, I've just built this network. So, you know, I used to like just go and shop and, and window shop and hunt for things, pretty much knowing that I couldn't buy most things because I'm just a freelance opera singer. Like, <laughs> I don't have the budget to just buy every beautiful piece of antique jewelry that like finds me. And the business kind of took hold because I was like, wait. If I have a business, yes, I can rescue all of these and find them homes. So do you have to buy them first? I do. I do. And that was very scary because, you know, it's a, it's a huge um, initial investment. Yeah. So I think that was like the biggest barrier to entry that for many years I was like, mm. oh gosh, that's a lot of money. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing about starting businesses. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. So I just did it. <laughs> You just started. I yeah. just started. <laughs> and then, and so one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Right? So did you have the network? Did you have people wanting this, these pieces from you or did you just buy it first? Or was this already part of, people knew you were kind of the go-to? People did not know. And I did mm. not have the network okay. of customers. <laughs> and that was terrifying, right? Because yeah. it takes a lot the of beginning, courage. it was like, it did. And, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's like 
courage or just like foolishness. Both. I mean, but, um, yeah. yeah, but I, I had a feeling that if I was passionate about it, I mm-hmm. would eventually attract other people who were also passionate about it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I just, I bought like my first like collection. I think I had like 10 pieces. So I had put out quite mm. a bit of money. I mean, we're talking like gold and diamonds and platinum and like, you know, I, I had wow, invested yeah. quite a bit. Um, and I converted my personal Instagram. Maybe I had like 800 followers. Mm-hmm. I converted that into a business Instagram and I started posting. Um, yeah. So your network. And so. yeah, mm-hmm. it did not work the way I had hoped oh. because these were just my friends, you know, these were like my opera singers. These were my, you know, yeah. some of them wanted to buy jewelry and some of them did, but like many of them were like, Oh, this is no longer content that is relevant to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had to like really seek out my audience. Um, did you, yeah. okay. So, so I, I went through something very similar recently converting mm-hmm. Instagram and Definitely people fall off for sure. And I just, you know, you have to just move forward and realize, well, it is different content, either they're interested Mm -hmm. or not. So in your case, did you, um, did you keep going with it? And then you just built an an audience on that same platform? Yeah, I kept going. Um, And yeah, I lost a lot of people, but they obviously weren't the people that I was trying to attract with my, you know, with my new content anyway. Um, And I, um, I would allot an hour a day to grow my following and Mm -hmm. to find the people who were already interested in what I was offering. So I think that was major for me. Like, I think sometimes, um, you know, we, we feel like we have to like convince people. But I found, mm-hmm. no, like the people who are interested in vintage and antique jewelry already exist. Yes. I have to find them. Um, it's not worth my energy to convince other people that they should spend $1,000 on jewelry that's not interesting to them. Like, that's right. not going to happen. Yeah. Find the people who are already, you know, already looking for that. And mm-hmm. there's an amazing Instagram community of um, vintage jewelry enthusiasts and collectors. So That's I just cool. had to find them. So you did. Yeah. This, so this is just a year ago that you started. Yeah, I think Instagram. maybe it was like a year and a half ago. I feel like time has no, like, so time so, has yeah. no meaning these days. Not <laughs> at I've all. been saying like, <laughs> It's so saying crazy. it was a year ago, but like I think another <gasps> half year has passed. And yeah, I've still been saying that. Twenty twenty is kind of yes, a bit of a very strange, <laughs> yeah. interesting time. But yes, okay. So you started doing that, and then meanwhile, you're running. You're doing both. You're auditioning. You're traveling. You're doing everything. Yeah. And did you feel that you were being pulled in any? Were you feeling pulled in either direction, or did it just feel like you know you're just doing both and? Doing both is really natural for me, and it's something that I feel like I need. Like, I, I love that duality of my career, um, and I feel like, I mean, for example, like, my happiest that I've ever been um, was um, a production of Pagliacci I did in the fall, and um, 
Pagliacci is an opera um, where a woman, my character, um, is murdered by her jealous husband after he finds out that she's having an affair. Um, people probably know it. It's the clown. He's, you know, <clears throat> smearing the makeup on his face and, and singing Ridi Pagliaccio. So that's the, that's the opera. So I was able to combine every single element of like what I'm passionate about into this one production. So that's when I started working with One Love and, um, mm -hmm. and doing outreach um, with mm -hmm. area high schools in the area of the opera company to teach them about um, relationship abuse. So I worked with the opera company and One Love and did the, the, you know, the outreach. I was rehearsing my dream role um, and actually amazing. my husband was in the production with me. So that made it just even more amazing that we so could like, cool. I could work with my husband and do my dream role and teach about this thing that I was really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then between rehearsals, I was in a brand new area making connections with antique dealers and estate dealers and sourcing for my site. I mean, it was like incredible. I loved <laughs> yeah. all rolled into one. You manifested and it. Just yeah, I manifested it and it all worked. Um, I feel <laughs> like one without the other, like, isn't, com it's not like me as like a complete person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But something that I did find is that um, the classical music industry has been a little bit, not with me specifically, but just in general, has always been a little cagey about um you know the side hustle and i actually oh, okay. don't like to use the word side hustle anymore because i feel like it's selling myself short like this is just an expansion mm -hmm. of my brand mm -hmm. but in the classical musical world there's always been kind of like this attitude of like well if you do anything else you're not as serious mm. about your art okay um yeah, so I always felt like I kind of had to downplay my other businesses or my other areas of interest um, so that people would see me as like a serious opera Committed, yeah. Um, committed, yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's changing. I think that's changing, and I think that's going to be something positive that will come out of um, this coronavirus thing because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's – we, we are more, we are more than just our art. And the other things we do um, really make us interesting artists. Definitely, without a doubt. I think yeah. so. I'm all about the multi-passionate. Yeah. Well, especially in having dual or three, you know, whether it's a business or not, but just being involved with all these different things. And the word side hustle bothers me too, because it's just the hustle. It doesn't have to be. It, has somewhat of a negative connotation in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people have asked like, Oh, well, is it your goal to tran to like, um, transition the side hustle into your main hustle and get rid of your main hustle, you know? And I'm like, yeah. no, I love them both. <laughs> like they're yeah. both a huge part of me. It's not, you know, it, you don't have to have like a monogamous relationship with your career. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Barry. And I wonder, I would say this is a very American thing about one path, you know, choose it, stick to it. I mean, in your case, 16 years old, you're like, this is my path. 
you know, but it's ingrained in us that we have to stick with one thing and that yeah. it's, that it's a negative thing to be interested in multiple things. I mean, it, because it, I guess what it shows or what it is implying that you just can't commit and being non-committal, right. it's very looked down upon. Yeah. Yeah. Or that, you know, there's that like saying that I hate, like master or Mm. jack of all trades, master of none. I'm like, I don't think that's true. I can be a master of multiple trades. Thank you. I love that. (laughs) Own it. It's true. And if you enjoy both, and again, you're this, this time now, I mean, it's all, everything's completely upside down. So now you're able to employ and help other artists and so it's all worth it. Yes. So in, in your, let's say you, if you have a kind of a big goal, is there anything, have you been on Broadway? No. Um, and I actually, um, my first teacher was right. Like, I don't have the voice that... Um, that works for Broadway. I could do some really? shows. Like there are, there are certain mm-hmm. things that I could do, like things that are more, um, we call them like legit, um, like old musical <laughs> theater. Um, I, I actually have um, two opera colleagues who were on Phantom on Broadway. So there mm-hmm. are certain roles on Broadway that opera singers can do. Um, and there are some opera singers who are amazing crossover artists. So they mm-hmm. can kind of switch styles and genres. I am not blessed with that kind of voice that can really do both. So I'm not a belter. Mm, um, okay. I don't have that like pop sound that is um, pretty um, popular on Broadway these days. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I I could do Rodgers and Hammerstein. I could do certain things, but I'm an opera singer. I, yeah. I just... I've, it's what my voice. It's what my voice does. Um, <laughs> I've seen the videos. Not, it's amazing. <laughs> not that it wouldn't be awesome to be on Broadway. That would be so much fun. And you know, never yeah. say never. Like you know, if if it happened, that would be incredible. And yes, there are opera singers who have made that transition. But um, but that's not a major goal for me. Um, I mean right now my goal is to just like get back out there and sing with people. Yeah. I, I miss that. I miss that, you know, camaraderie and mm-hmm. that feeling of like making music with people. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's just the best feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think, I think like the major goal for me is to, um, just have a full schedule again, honestly. I mean, it's like just a simple thing of just have a full schedule with, um, with amazing colleagues who push me and inspire me. Mm -hmm. That's a great goal. Yeah. (laughs) And do you see a lot of the same people? Um, it sounds like you kind of keep running into the same people. Yeah. That's the great thing about it. It's, it's a really tightly knit community Mm -hmm. and um, you know, we just, we have friends all over the world. So, you know, if we've, we've spent, I guess it's been like two winters in Germany over like the past three years. And, and my husband and I have opera singer friends in Germany and Austria. And, you know, we just, we were in the world and just call up a colleague 
you know, and just be like, Hey, I'm stuck in your city. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. can I stay with you? I mean, it's, it's amazing that the network and it really is like a family, a family feeling. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So I want to hear the love story of you and your husband. Okay. (laughs) So my husband and I met on a gig in 2014. Um, I was married to my ex-husband at that point, um, Mm -hmm. which was actually a really great way for my current husband and I to start our friendship because Mm -hmm. it was just simply a friendship. So we just like had that basis of truly just being like buddies Um, and we met on this gig and we figured out that we had a million friends in common. Actually, um, we learned that my best friend had just gotten engaged to his best friend and none of the friends had met each other. So it was like, you know, just a lot of like paths. Yeah. Small world stuff. And, and we, um, and we were just buddies. And, um, about a year later, I, um, found out that my husband was having an affair and um, actually Clay, my, my husband now was one of the friends that I felt like I could talk to because Mm -hmm. he wasn't a part of like our joint friend group. Like he was just my friend Mm -hmm. and I felt like he wouldn't judge me. I, you know, I just felt like he was like a really easy person to talk to and um, just a really good friend And he was really, really supportive and, you know, gave me my space to, uh, to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and you know, I just, I fell in love with him very quickly because he just, um, he's just such a good person. He's just, Mm -hmm. he's the best person that I know. And, um, and, and we had that friendship that like really, you know, yeah. Foundation. Cemented things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when we first started dating, he was in Germany and I was in California and then I was in Germany and he was in, you know, who knows. So we were like, you know, other sides of the world. And um, he really encouraged me to like be single. And like, Mm -hmm. I had never been single before I was 28 and I had been dating my ex-husband since I was 16 so he just like really gave me my space, which I, I keep saying all the time, but like now I just, I realize like what an amazing gift that was Huge. for him yeah. to let me, yeah, yeah, let me be on my own and figure out who I was, but he was still there for me and we would see each other like once a month and then mm-hmm. things just got more serious and yeah. We got married last That's year. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So, such a great love story. And was your ex, was he also a singer? He was not. Okay. Um, so that made things a lot easier because, yeah. um, you know, we're not in the same, we're not in the same circles. Um, we aren't in contact anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely um, made things less complicated that he wasn't a colleague yeah. as well. Right. Um, yeah. Mm. but I, and you bought yeah, yourself <laughs> then this is the divorce ring kind of phenomenon. Yes. like you bought yourself a ring and then was this did you on social media call it a divorce ring yes well yes and no okay so I was on a gig I was doing the opera William Tell and mm. I um 
I don't even think my, I don't think my divorce was finalized at that point, but I was in the process. And obviously I had, you know, stopped wearing my engagement ring and wedding band. And I just like missed having a ring. Yeah. Like I just <laughs> missed wearing diamonds. Not, you love jewelry. Not I, mean. engagement ring. <laughs> I love jewelry. I just, I missed that. Yeah. Um, and also this was the first time in my entire life that I was um, absolutely in control of my own finances. Mm. I'd never, I had never had that freedom before. So I, um, I found this ring that I loved. It um, is like Belle Epoque, like Edwardian um, platinum with old European cut diamonds, like probably made like 1910, between 1910 okay. and 1920. And um, it's what's called a dinner ring. So it's like, um, like long on the finger. So it doesn't look like an engagement ring per se, though it could be. Um, and I just, I fell in love with it. And I was like, you know what? That's I'm going to buy it. So, <laughs> I did. so I just bought it and it was a big purchase. And it was just like so empowering to like make that decision for myself and just like treat myself because I could and I wanted to. Yeah. So um, I wore it to rehearsal and it was like sparkling under the lights and my colleagues were like, hold on, what, what's on your finger there? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, it's my divorce ring. And I, I hadn't like thought about it before, but I was like, yeah, that's what it is. It's my divorce ring. Um, and then when I started my jewelry business um, a couple years after that, I guess it was like three years after that. Um, I shared my story and I shared a picture of my ring and women started coming forward, um, mm. you know, wanting to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think I was really able to offer them a different kind of jewelry buying experience because so much of the yeah. jewelry industry is like engagement, wedding, anniversary. Mm -hmm. So, Definitely. um, not yeah. very empowering. I'm imagining it's, it's more pressure on the, the guy, yeah. To find something and the woman wanting something perfect. Yeah. I, I'm not married, so I haven't gone through the process, but I can imagine it's, it's marketed heavily in that way. So this is much more like, what do you want right. as the woman? And I find that women are buying jewelry for themselves all the time. Like mm -hmm. my, uh, such a small portion of my business is men buying mm. jewelry. Um, you know, it's, it's generally, um, you know, women buying jewelry for themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also that's like such a heteronormative way of even saying it too. I've, I've worked with same sex couples and, you know, so, mm -hmm. but, but right. what I will say is, you know, a small portion of it is people buying jewelry for their partners. It's more often women buying jewelry for themselves. Okay. Yes. So, um, so that really has changed, but I still think like the messaging and the advertising is just so like relationship focused. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And when women, women are coming to you, are they, what are they attracted to most? Is, is there anything like, is, does it look like a, an engagement ring? For example? Um, it's really interesting. Um, most of the divorce rings that I sell do not look like engagement mm -hmm. rings. Okay. Um, but something that's really interesting is that so many of them um, didn't have a say in their own engagement ring 
or or their style has like changed yeah. drastically right. since they got engaged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is like an experience where they can choose whatever they love, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of what their partner thinks. Um, I think it's so interesting too that like the engagement ring is um, like kind of this status symbol for the person who's buying it. So I've talked to a lot of women who are like, I wanted something that was like a little lower profile, kind of modern, maybe a smaller stone, maybe I wanted a sapphire. Mm -hmm. But um, my ex-husband or my ex-fiance really wanted something that was like classic and big because it was important for him to show that he could. So there are just all these... So many juicy stories that you must hear. Yeah. Yeah. All these people. And as someone who's been through it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I feel like I'm able to make it um, like a healing experience. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And when people find you, do you have something to show them? you, You must have a lot of inventory at this point. I do. Okay. So you have the inventory. Or do some people, or do you source them and just kind of go on the hunt for something? Sometimes I do. Um, Sometimes people are just like, I saw this ring on your Instagram. It's exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. This is my divorce ring. Um, Or sometimes, you know, they'll say, I've been dreaming of this. Is it something you could find? So I love both. Um, I love hunting for things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's really that um, just the, the, symbolism of the purchase and the the process of being able to buy something for yourself true and what is the price ranges roughly um it varies i would say maybe 500 on the low end mm-hmm. to 5000 on the high end okay so um so yeah i i have worked in many budgets and you know it just it all depends on mm-hmm. on where you are in your life i mean i absolutely recognize that you know divorce is expensive so for some that, people yeah. <laughs> it's like well i'm going uh-huh. through a divorce so <laughs> this is what i can afford I forgot about that expensive piece of divorce. Oh, it's so terribly expensive. <laughs> yeah. I have quite a few friends actually that are that are divorced. Um, I've never been to a divorce party. I'm sure Neither I will. I. You haven't? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we will. I've never I've never been to one and I didn't have one. Um, but I felt like my ring was like my own little party that I was throwing for myself. Yeah. And do they wear it typically on the left hand? No, uh, usually on the right hand. Mm. I, that's the okay. way I, I wear mine. Um, ring finger mm-hmm. is my right hand. Um, generally, any finger that isn't the left hand ring finger. Although there are really no rules, like you could do whatever you wanted yeah. to. But um, but I find that most people right hand ring. Okay, because I don't want to turn people off, right? Sure. Potential, yeah. Or maybe or maybe scooters. you do. Maybe you're like, I'm going to take a break for a moment. So. <laughs> I've definitely done that with a friend's wedding ring. When we were traveling in Europe, yeah. I was like, a bunch You're of creeps. Like, Please don't bother me. <laughs> yes. And what do you think about, I mean, this is maybe a random question, but the energy of all these, because they're antiques, you know, they've been worn. What do you mm-hmm. feel about that? Just like with the, um, 
you're into history, but do you know about any of these people? Like any of these? I unfortunately don't know as much about most of the previous owners as I would like, because by the time they get to me, they've been through like a couple, um, like, you know, a couple middlemen. Um, But I believe very strongly in energy. Mm -hmm. So when I'm sourcing things, like I really feel a pull to certain pieces. And sometimes there are beautiful things that I pass on because the energy just isn't right with me. I love that you're saying this. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it is energy, you know, especially these, well, these precious gems, would you call them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really, I really, really feel that very strongly. And yeah, I think some pieces that are so beautiful and if I thought about them in like a really cut and dry way I'm like well this would be a great return on investment this is a great Mm -hmm. piece but the energy just isn't right and so it's meant for someone else or someone else's collection and and I pass on it Mm -hmm. um and another thing I love is like inscriptions or wedding dates inside of certain rings like that just makes my heart melt and mm-hmm. I, I love that. So some things are simple, but like they have these amazing details that no one else knows about that just make them so special. Mm-hmm. And then that would be a selling point. Yeah, yeah. Or not for some people. You know, I find that like vintage and antique lovers, they love that someone else has like, put their mark and their energy on a piece. And then there are some people who are like, I don't want something that someone else has worn. Oh yeah. They're obviously not my people. No, they're obviously not not interested in antiques. (laughs) Not your people. um, (laughs) Yes. But, but that was something that was interesting about like finding my clientele because Mm -hmm. you can't persuade someone to be interested in that. You know, they have to, they have to love it on their own. It's true. It's like used clothing. I, a friend was just saying, yeah. I hate used clothing. And I, I love used clothing. I only wear always used have. clothing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So yeah, everyone has their thing. And I always said, if yeah. I was to get engaged and have a wedding ring, it would definitely be, some, be something that had a bit of a story. Yeah. So I'm coming to you for yeah. sure. Oh, please do. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. That's so cool. And so I want to hear about the One Love Foundation. Yes. A little bit more. Okay. I've never heard of it. It's an amazing nonprofit. I mean, I just, I can't say enough good things about them. Um, so it was founded um, in memory of Yardley Love, who was a, um, a college student who was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. Mm. And um, her family set up this foundation to teach Um, young people, but really everyone about um, what the signs are of unhealthy relationships, how to have healthy relationships, how to identify abuse, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in your friends or in your own relationship or, you know, um, in, in movies and TV and pop culture where so many of these abusive behaviors are normalized Mm -hmm. um, and just really how to, how to name these behaviors so that you know, you know, what to do and where to go from there. Um, And I discovered them as I was going through my divorce pretty Mm. early on in the process um, because 
months. My first marriage was um, really emotionally abusive, but I had never been in another relationship. So I just like, I didn't really know how, how to call it out, like how to describe it. And um, when I first told my friends and family that I was filing for divorce, so many of them assumed that it was just because of the affair. Mm-hmm. When in fact, the affair was just that one piece that freed me yeah. from a relationship that was already really bad for me. Um, How long, and I, six, 16 you were together, when did it start to get bad? It, it was unhealthy from the start, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, it's interesting because we all make mistakes in relationships. You know, we all do oh, yeah. things that aren't necessarily healthy and you, you learn from those experiences, right? Like ideally, you know, you're in your first relationship, you act like teenagers because you are teenagers Mm -hmm. and then you know and then someone someone in the relationship is like okay like this isn't going to work for me I don't want to be treated like this I'm out yeah um but I never did that you know I I stayed um and I and it just kind of um got worse and worse especially once we were married because Mm you know, our finances were tied up together and, and there was that um, expectation of like, oh, well, you know, in marriage you stay and you fight it out or, you know, that like yeah. ride or die thing or marriages take work, you know, and I, I had nothing to compare it to, to know like, okay, well, like what is work and what is just not healthy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, you had nothing so, to compare it to. Um, I had nothing to compare it to. And, Hmm. you know, I mean, in hindsight, and like, as I get further and further away from it, I do have more compassion for him. um, And I hope that he has learned from, you know, from what what went wrong in Hmm. our marriage. And I I hope that he's a better partner now, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe he just needed maybe he just needed that divorce to make him realize that some things are just not acceptable. Um, you know, but I, I also realized that it was not my job to teach him that. Mm -hmm. And, um, no, I think during the relationship, I always just felt like, okay, like, I don't like the way I'm being treated. This isn't good. But if I just try harder and like love him more and, you know, try and make things better for him, I can change him. And um, you can't, you can't change people. It's just, it's not your job. It's not only not your job, but it's not, you, you do not have the power to do that. Yeah. I've thought that many times as well, you know, because you think I'm different, maybe that, even yes. <laughs> that you'll yeah somehow change them and uh, yeah it's I thought that many times I'm like trying to <laughs> embarrassingly think yeah. of all the times <laughs> like no this time will be different but it's I think it comes from a place too of loving you know that you really want yes this person to to do better and be better and especially yes. knowing each other since you guys were teenagers that's that's a long history yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what um, One Love really illuminated for me is that mm -hmm. so many of these unhealthy behaviors are so normalized in mm. pop culture. Um, I mean, not even pop culture, like, you know, just literature and movies and operas and books. I mean, you know, like all of it, um, they're you, so normalized. Could you throw out a couple examples? Yes. Okay. So like one example is like that tumultuous relationship that's full of passion where mm -hmm. you're fighting and you're like screaming and yelling and throwing things. And then you both like collapse in tears and apologize. And then there's this big like, you know, display of like flowers or gifts or like, I'm going to be better. You make me a better person. And you know, that like, really highs and lows of like passion yeah. you know I thought you were gonna say um, like makeup sex or you know? makeup sex you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean but but yeah. no that really plays into it like those highs and lows mm -hmm. um and we are conditioned to believe yeah. that like that's passion and that's love mm -hmm. like I mean you know movies like the notebook or you know like all of those things that yeah. are just so dramatic and passionate um, are really not good examples of healthy relationships. Very, very true. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, the idea of like a man who's pursuing a woman and like, she's not interested, but like he keeps pursuing her and like wears her down until mm. she falls in love with him. Like, that's not healthy. <laughs> yes. You know, it's not health. It's not healthy for either <laughs> partner, you know? Yeah. And, and as we, um, you know, as, as we talk more about like, you know, the Me Too movement and, um, and, and consent, you know, like that's that unrequited love that is like built up to be so romantic mm -hmm. is actually like really um, like, defying someone's consent like that's someone who's saying i'm not interested and then you keep yeah. pursuing them like that's not a good foundation right. for a relationship mm -hmm. and and i mean it's it's not healthy for either partner um mm -hmm. you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be pouring energy into someone who's clearly not giving you that energy back in return yeah i mean a lot of i'm going to generalize but a lot of women do that seems like yeah, giving attention to the to the guy that just isn't giving them enough attention. So I think that there is yeah. definitely a trend. Yeah, in that way, and and seeing it in movies, and you're right, it's all over our culture. Right. For so sure. just like being able to name that, and that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that I don't still enjoy those movies, you know. Mm -hmm. But when I watch them. I'm like, okay, like if I were a parent or if I were a teacher, um, I would use these tools to be like, okay, this is what we're seeing. Um, this is what's happening. You know, if this were happening in your life, how would you handle this? Mm -hmm. I like that it's not, ex I mean, we know physical abuse is completely wrong and not okay. So it sounds like this organization is showing all the, the cultural examples that we're seeing all the time, again, yes. in media. So it's, it's bringing attention, these very normalized 
dynamic. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really, really major because of course I knew like if someone hits you, that's abuse and you leave. Mm -hmm. Right. But I was never hit. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy for me to kind of talk myself out of, um, you know, like I, I knew in my heart that I like, that the way I was being treated wasn't right, mm-hmm. but I was reticent to call it abuse because it didn't fit into that, like, you know, battered wife idea of like mm-hmm. what I thought abuse was. And emotional abuse is really, really harmful. Oftentimes yes. it's a precursor to physical abuse, but even if it's not, it's yeah. really, really harmful. Mm-hmm. And so are you working in this organization? Is it for both male, female? It's Yeah, it's a really inclusive organization. And what they do is they just train educational facilitators to go into schools or talk to their work or talk to their students or whatever. So they are just training people to get out into the world and like share this information. So, um, so when I did it, I um, actually wrote to One Love and asked if I could slightly modify their curriculum so that I could incorporate the opera into it. Um, but yeah, that was really cool cool for me, Um, but (laughs) they were so supportive. Um, and I made sure that, um, you know, I double checked everything I was saying to make sure that it like was really in alignment with what their curriculum is. And then I used the base curriculum of the 10 unhealthy and 10 healthy relationship behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I was just so, it was so rewarding. Um, especially because I got into my relationship in high school. So to talk to these high school students, like I honestly felt like it was like talking to my past self. Did you, and you told them about your story? I did. did. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first time I had talked about it in like, you know, four years. Wow. Yeah. Very, very cool. And, and that's part of your healing journey, I'm sure. Absolutely. It was hard too. I mean, I, I remember after the first talk, I like just sat in my car and I just sobbed because, you know, it was like kind of unearth a lot of stuff. And yeah. then there's that feeling of responsibility. Like, I just hope that these students like understand what I'm saying and don't make the same mistakes that I make. Like I want to, you know, I want to save them all. But again, that's also that old thinking of like, you can't, you can't change the way other people behave. You can only change the way you behave. Right. But you sharing your stories is going to change and help somebody. I'm sure it already has. Yeah, I hope so. And And, you're sharing it here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, And I just think like, if anyone, um, you know, just has this feeling, because you do, you have a feeling like in the pit of your stomach that something mm-hmm. is not right. Yeah. Um, just reading those 10 unhealthy relationship behaviors and being able to put a, a name to what you're experiencing um, is so powerful because, you know, it's just permission to tell yourself, okay, like, this, I don't deserve this. This isn't right. Like I, I deserve better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And will you continue to work with them? And now? I yes, mean, I would love sure. to. Okay. So this is, I would love to. 
Yeah. And I think that there's so many things that, um, that the opera world can do. So many of the operas that we do portray these kinds of relationships. So I think that it's just a, it's a prime opportunity to, um, to use these bad examples as teaching <laughs> tools. It's so I think that brilliant. there's, you know, yeah, I, I, I strongly, strongly believe that we should be performing these operas. I mm-hmm. don't believe that we should scrub the repertory of bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think when we see these things acted out and we have materials and tools that are explaining what's happening, it, it helps us kind of synthesize what's going on in our own lives mm-hmm. and make sense of it through art. So I think it's, I think it's very, very important that we keep doing these works of art that make us uncomfortable and, and mm-hmm. make us squirm. Um, we just need to accompany them with resources and tools. Yes. And this is a dumb question. But no dumb questions. Our, <laughs> I've, I've only <laughs> seen Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. And so most of the things that you're performing are in Italian? Uh, no. Okay. So many in Italian, but operas, um, the big three are Italian, French, and German. But there are operas in Russian. There are operas in English. There are operas in Czech, Spanish. Um, I mean, it's, you know, okay. endless, endless languages. Um, but the major three are Italian, French, and German. Okay. And when are they written, most of them that you're performing? How far are they going back? Um, pretty far back, um, but there are also operas that are being written today. So, okay. um, you know, operas that are 200 years old, operas that are two years old, you know, it really, yeah. it's, okay. a, it's a living, breathing art form. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. I could talk mm-hmm. to you forever. <laughs> And I really want to know how you do that. Um, oh, my little hair scarf. The hair scarf I, okay. is amazing. <laughs> yes. yes. So I've been really into like um, vintage hairstyles. Um, mm-hmm. It's raining today. Mm-hmm. So I just watched a very cool YouTube video on like vintage hairstyles for when it's raining. So this is a square scarf. <laughs> I folded it into a triangle. And then you fold the point of the triangle down a couple times uh-huh. so that it's still pretty thick. And then you just put the flat part against the back of your head, tie it in the front, and tuck the little ends into the so front. Cute. So it's like little 1940s. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Cover up my quarantine gray hairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. I've never <laughs> wanted to dye my hair so badly. <laughs> Being in quarantine. Okay, so how can people find you? So for the jewelry, yes, on Instagram. Um, the the best place to follow me is on Instagram. Um, okay. I am on Instagram all day, every day. So that is at Songbird Sarah Jewelry, and um, from there you can access my website, SongbirdSarahAntiqueJewelry.com. Um, you can also find videos of my singing and fun opera tidbits. Um, so Instagram is like kind of my, my home Your online. Home. Okay. Yes. And then if you want to just get strict opera, uh, saraducovne.com is my opera website. It's beautiful. Thank you. 
yeah, all the outfits and the makeup, I, I thought, wow, you transformed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's definitely not my quarantine. It's definitely my quarantine <laughs> chic. But that's, that's such a big part of what I love about it, just the, mm. the history and the costumes and the glamour, and it really mm. it ties back into the jewelry. So. It does. Amazing. You have such a, an incredible story. I'm so grateful that you, Thank you shared it with myself and my listeners. And I will check you out on Instagram for sure. Thank you. It was an honor. This is so yeah. fun. <laughs> so fun. And yes, I'll be following your RV journey as well. Yes. Do you, do you yes. That on Instagram? Not quite so often, but I have to find a way to like work it in there. You know, yes. it's a little, it's, it's unexpected. It's unexpected. <laughs> it is. I think it adds to the, well, just the adventure too of going to these different locations, sourcing jewelry, meeting the people. The whole thing. Absolutely. So cool. Thank you again. And I'll put Thank your info you. in the show notes so people can find you. Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear and want to share your story, or if you know someone you think would make a great fit, you can find me and send me a message on Instagram at where is Willow. I'd love to hear from you. Cheers to carving your own fucking path.